Hello and welcome into the first Popcorn for Breakfast episode of the new year. That's right, 2021 is here and we have a super huge show for you today. We are doing not one but two movie reviews, reviewing both Disney and Pixar's Soul and the new DC movie on HBO Max, Wonder Woman 1984. We will, of course, get you caught up on all of the latest movie news and what's popping, and we will wrap up the show with our schoolyard pick of 2021 movies. Let's get to it. for joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. In fact, it's the first episode of 2021. If this is your first time listening to the show, we just want to thank you so much for tuning in. We've got a great episode for you, and I want to introduce my co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. And I am your other co-host, Cam. We are so glad to have you. Um, We are saying goodbye to 2020 on this episode. Um, Thankfully, I think, right? I think that's pretty much unanimous where it's yeah. zero star review on, on 2020. It kind of sucked. Um, and we are hoping for better things in the new year, right, Kirk? Yes, that's right. Hopefully you can, in post-production, just put a giant toilet flush right in the middle. Yeah, just that. Twi- Oh, man. I wish we had that sound effect. Just the... Yeah, we I'm, need to get that. I'm just going to record an authentic one of our own so we don't have to buy one. Yeah, just, just, just do that. <laughs> we should start producing our own sound effects. <laughs> Honestly, I'm pretty disappointed. I think what what is this episode 55 of our show, and uh, our sound effect game is just not at all where I envisioned it would be at this point. But you know, you know what? New year, new us. We're gonna that's right. we're gonna turn it around. This is the year for us to really beef up the sound effect game. You know, uh, just like in Glenn Gary, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, they're all, always be closing. We'll always be improving. ABI. That's right. This is what we're going to do. And we don't want to put like all it. of our tricks out out the gate. I mean, people <laughs> yeah. got to see us improve and, and come That's on the right. journey with us, you know. So here we are. Yeah, there are podcasters out there that had like a thousand episodes before they actually started being good. So, yes. I mean, I think we, we've uh, we've got nothing but time. We We're like Grogu. We age extraordinarily slowly. Um, so that's where we're at. Yes, and we need um, Jedi to come rescue us and uh, help us hone our skills that, properly. That too. That too. All of that. We, we share all of that with them. Um, but yeah, like I said, big show today. Huge show, actually. Um, because on Christmas Day, the Christmas present to all of us who love movies was not one but two huge titles in Disney and Pixar Soul, which released exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Um, and, of course, Wonder Woman 1984, which, exclu- which uh, launched exclusively on HBO Max. Both of those with no incremental cost over your subscription, which was much, much appreciated, and it was a nice way to spend the holidays. So we're going to review both of those. We are going to get caught up on a little bit of news that happened over the holidays, not much. Um, and then we'll wrap up the show with our 2021 schoolyard pick of films, which is really funny because it's probably going to be strikingly similar to when we did the exact same schoolyard pick for 2020. Because <laughs> like almost none of those films, 
Like, I think I remember having Wonder Woman 1984 on my list last time, so that one's, like, box checked, but everything else is going to be... We're going to be pulling from a pretty similar, like, slate of films, I think. Yeah, I've made my list, and there are 19 movies that came on my list, like, super easily, so uh, having to pick the top... Uh, the top ones from that is kind of yeah. gonna be impossible. Um, there's a few extra ones that may not have been there before, but really not many at all. Not many at all. Yeah. And it's funny. Like, I think it's so bizarre. It's like so surreal looking back on like this time last year, because I can remember talking on this podcast about how big of a year for film 2020 was going to be like so many studios, like, wanted to kick things off in 2020, wanted to have their movies released in 2020. And then obviously that did not go according to plan. And so now it's like 2020 might be the worst year for movies ever, <laughs> honestly. And um, for life, man. I, I feel like not only the, the entertainment industry, but I feel like personally 2020 started, I was like in a good groove and I was yeah, like, sure. this is going to be my year. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's our sound effect for and now you're just now you're just crying eating eating uh (laughs) ben and jerry's out of the tub like (laughs) five nights a week yes i feel like it's still i mean i think many many people had a much harder year than i did uh it definitely got yeah sure i just feel like the anticipation of what 2020 was you know at uh ryan seacrest rocking new year at the last year i just oh man and lucy hale shout out lucy hale lucy hale was back at it again this year man she was she was yeah she she was. was There were many, very many moments she was interviewing this like six people who were allowed to be there on the street, and she was, <laughs> you know, they didn't understand her. They were just nodding because it was impossible to hear. So. <laughs> yeah, especially with the masks too. Like it's exactly, just, there's a zero percent chance anybody was hearing anything. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's it's an interesting thing. Yeah, you you make a good point though, which is that we have been extraordinarily blessed compared to some others in terms of 2020. So we're thankful for that. And, uh, you know, obviously it's been a bad year. We're ready to turn the page and hoping for newer, better things in 2021, including an absolutely packed slate of movies for this year. So hopefully things go to go according to plan. Vaccine gets rolled out nicely and we get the chance to see lots of movies in theaters this Mm -hmm. year. That's that's the dream. Um, But but speaking of that, like looking back on the year of 2020, I wanted to talk about like. What to you, I mean, outside of COVID, will 2020 be remembered for in film? Like, what was the big story in either film or television that you think was like, this is what I will remember from 2020? That is a loaded question, Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Okay, I got it. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I can't can't answer with one thing, but I can give you uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, of 2020. I like it. Shout out Clint Eastwood. Boom. Is that him? That's the only time we'll ever shout out Clint Eastwood. (laughs) Uh, I've got the, actually, I got the good, the bad, and the ugly on my, on my scratch off movie. Oh, you do? So I I haven't watched it. It's got to be scratched off, but it's on there. Uh So the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, I'm going to go with the good was, you know, the Disney summit where we got all of the upcoming features that that were you know none of them were released but they're coming all the star wars info, yeah. all the disney info all of the pixar info the whole 
gauntlet that has to be the good uh, coming out in the entertainment industry. I don't know. I don't. I don't think we got any other news in uh, last year that was of that magnitude. It was just mm-hmm. so insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we had a three hour, uh, three to four hour episode on it afterwards. So <laughs> yeah. that's the good. Uh, the bad, easily hands down, the loss of Chadwick Boseman, hands down, Oof. in the entertainment Oof. world, hands down. Yeah. Uh, and the ugly. Uh, and this is gonna, this is kind of uh, uh, newer, but Shia LaBeouf is in hot water right now from uh, yeah. from a rough uh, scandal of his has to deal with his abuse, uh, uh, having having um, having being damaged men- to your mental health is not an excuse for how you treat others, but it seems like the damage that he's taken on his entire life is now has affected other people horribly and it's it's ugly it's ugly there's no there's no good answer to it we've been shia fans for a while and ugh, it's rough times yeah and i mean i think so yeah the most recent allegation coming from his uh ex-girlfriend um and you know it it's things that you never want to hear about you know verbal abuse domestic violence things like that um like you said, no excuse for it. And I, here's what I will say, though. To Shia's credit, he did not make any excuse for it. You know, right. like when, yes. when, when, this, when this civil suit like came out, he was like, listen, I was, a, I was a bad person and I make no excuse for that. I've hurt a lot of people. So, I mean, I do give him credit for that. I really just, I mean, we just wish him the best. And, and I think... You know, then then he got booted from the new Olivia Wilde movie, which I was really excited about. Um, Don't worry, darling, is that what it's called? Sounds right. I think yeah. that's what it's called. Yeah, and uh, that just hurts. So, I mean, yeah, we're you know, Shia has has not been shy about his struggles. I just really continue to hope that those are behind him because I think he's a phenomenal talent who's had a really tough life. Again, that's not an excuse for some of the things that have happened, but. I really hope that's behind him. And, you know, I am at least proud of him being like, listen, I make no excuse. This is what it is. And uh, I'm willing to pay the consequences for that because uh, that's, it's a tough situation, but I think that's the best way for him to yeah. handle it. And, and just I, hope, front. I hope we get him, uh, you know, one of the options for Shia was that he uh, go to rehab and get, you know, meaningful therapy and, and recovers from it. And I feel like that's, such a reasonable request from, from yeah. you know the hurt uh, the hurt actress uh, F.A. Twigs, and is that her name? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, yes, I think so. And then I also want uh, Zach uh, Gotsigan from Peanut Butter Falcon, his best bud, just to like roll up and just like I want to see all the pictures of them hugging it out because he yeah that accountability guy, partners yeah helped change his life. So that's the ugly. I hope it turns around real quick uh, here at the beginning of twenty twenty one. Yeah, good call. Um, I think for me, the the biggest thing that I will remember 2024 is the streaming wars. The yeah. streaming wars um, just being accelerated probably like five-ish years into the future. Um, and we've been kind of waiting to see how this would pan out. And it's interesting, you know, in some ways it's what you expect. There's a ton of players, and some of them seem to be thriving and some of them seem to be not doing as well. But what's what's really been interesting to me is how many different platforms consumers are willing to pay for to date, you know? And, and what I think we're seeing is 
we kind of thought that there would be this huge spike in services and then lots of mergers and acquisitions happening and then the death of some of the like weaker parties to date you know they're all doing somewhat well and there's plenty of heavy hitters at the top with disney plus netflix hulu amazon prime video hbo max is sneaking into that conversation and certainly will continue to do so in 2021 with their massive slate um so i think it'll be interesting to see just what the market will bear when it comes to streaming services, because I think what we are seeing is that consumers are perhaps as willing or maybe even more willing to, you know, hold on to multiple streaming services at the same time than people thought. And there might be, there might be a larger pie to, to be split amongst all of these different services. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I do, I do expect still some merger and acquisition uh, activity to happen, because there's just some weird stuff going on out there. Like AT&T continues to show us day after day that they are a telecommunications company that knows very little about entertainment. Um, and Apple is struggling. That platform, um, outside of the user interface, they have the opposite problem. They have a great user interface and terrible content where everybody else has like good content, bad user interface. So... Apple needs to figure that out sooner or else that's going to be a huge black mark on them. So I do expect it to sort of continue into 2021, but I think what we saw this year was just unprecedented. I mean, for the love, like Quibi was born and died <laughs> within 2020. You know what I mean? Like that's how crazy things were. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things go. And it'll be interesting to see like, what this whole HBO Max gamble ends up being, you know, is it the future or is it a huge mistake? And, you know, that question remains to be seen. So, um, yeah, streaming wars to be continued for sure. Excellent choice. Yeah, it's either that the bubble will pop because there's going to be too many and people are going to be like, man, this is more expensive than when I had cable or everyone's just sharing passwords. You know, that's it. That's all there is. Right. (laughs) No, I mean, I think that there is – there will come a point <laughs> where people are like, this is getting ridiculous. I mean, I think that that will happen. It's possible that people haven't really like seen it hit their bottom line yet because they, they just haven't been around for long enough. Like right, right, right. if you subscribe to HBO max, like you've only gotten gone through like three billing cycles or four billing cycles so far, you know? So it, it'll be interesting to see um, kind of how that, how that continues. But um, we got a lot to t- we got a lot to cover. We got two movies to review, so let's jump into what's popping. All right, and uh, first first one on here, and here like this is where a sound effect would be really good. We're gonna be going into nerd alert zone here. I really want a nerd alert sound effect where when we're gonna get like super nerdy about something, we can warn people. Yes. You know, like yes. an air, like an air raid sound, like, and then like nerd alert, nerd, you know what I mean? Like let people know. Yes. Um, Cause this has potential to get pretty nerdy. So earlier this week, um, there was a news story from Brooks Barnes from the New York times that stated that, you know, this was sort of a head headline grabbing, you know, clip that Michael Keaton would be the sole Batman of the DCEU and everybody was kind of like, huh, that's how is that possible? Um, yeah. 
and that Ben Affleck, he'd be replacing Ben Affleck, which just threw out like tons of questions and absolutely no answers and the internet went into straight chaos. So then later on, he did like walk that back to be like, well, right now Michael Keaton is only going to be in the flash. That's the only thing that's confirmed. So, which is fine and well, and I don't think it actually changes the original statement. I think he just didn't want as much attention as he got. And he was like, let me see if I can dole that down a little bit because what we previously heard was that the goal for like when the first reports came out that he was going to be in the flash, we were hearing that he was going to be in like a Nick Fury esque role. Yes. Which makes this new report very interesting because if he is the sole Batman of the DCEU and he's Michael Keaton, you know, he's an older guy uh, for a Batman at least. And he's going to be, you connect that with like, he's going to be this Nick Fury esque like role. Then that sort of opens the door for something that you and I have been clamoring for, for our entire lives, which is of course, Batman beyond. Batman beyond. Oh yes. Oh man. It, it's just a dream come true. We have dreamed up <laughs> probably 30 different casts of, of this. And, oh, easily. I mean, Michael and, Keaton is always there. He's always in there. He's like, and maybe they can bring back Michael Keaton. <laughs> but then Terry McGinnis is the one that we we like shuffle through every single time. <laughs> we have no idea. We have no idea who can no. be it. That's a hard one. That's a really hard one to cast because it has to be a, like a new, a new young spry up and comer. It really does. Who who's yeah. kind of. I don't know, like, when Batman Beyond came out, emo was, like, such a big thing. So, you know, he wasn't exactly emo, but he definitely had, like, this dreary, you know, black cloud over him all the time, you know, which was cool for him. But I don't know. Hip casting Terry McGinnis is going to be impossible. You know, <laughs> don't hate me for this. Don't don't you dare. <laughs> you know. If you, you know who would be kind of perfect for this. No, if, like all else equal, okay, is Timothy Chalamet. It's it's the perfect. Uh, it's kind of the perfect casting. Oh man, how dare you! <laughs> it's true. You know in your heart that it's true, Kirk. I, it I would kind. It would kind of work. Yeah, I don't like him, but I think it would. It would work. It would work because, like. You know what? Pattinson would have worked for this too, but that's that ship has sailed. He's a Batman of his own on in, in his own little trilogy and universe. So that that is what it is. Yeah. Ah, uh, man. How and I don't trust DC to be. pick an unknown. I definitely don't trust them to pick an unknown. They have not proven themselves. You know, nowadays oh. like Marvel picks an unknown and you're like, "Okay, you've earned this. You've earned the right for <laughs> us to trust you on this." But DC picking an unknown is a hard no for me right now. Harder. It won't be good. It won't be good at all. Um, if you, this is your first time listening to an episode of Popcorn for Breakfast, I think Timothy Shamalamat, whatever you, his last name is, <laughs> he is overrated uh, and only has glimpses of, of good work. Uh, I think he Man. has a lot of work to do. Uh, people have, can, can, you know, because he was in Little Women, they're like, oh, he's just like Christian Bale when Christian Bale was in it. And he's, no, no one. <laughs> No one is like Christian Bale, especially. That's true. Timothy Shamalala. But I concede. I concede. I think he probably would be a good Guinness. He, so, he Terry Guinness. He, he would be. He would be for sure. And I think, like, this overall is the only thing that excites me about the DCEU right now. Like, 
maybe, I mean, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad it still has my interest peaked for sure because it's James Gunn. Um, so I and I feel like he can make it good if they gave him creative freedom, which we'll see. He says they did. Who knows? Um, but I think you know Michael Keaton in the Flash. The other weird thing, like they said that he's replacing Ben Affleck. Well, Ben Affleck was previously reported to be in this new The Flash movie. So like, will he still be in it as a like a goodbye? And then that's like the end of it, or is he out? Like it's so confusing right now. Maybe they kill Ben Affleck in the new Flash film. <laughs> Maybe they do. Could be could be Just crazy. Saying. But anyway, we'll keep you guys posted on that. That's our nerdy breakdown. If it's not Batman Beyond, this move makes no sense. Can we agree on that? Oh, I'll be outraged. There's no there's no point in having Michael Keaton come back if it, if they're not introducing Batman Beyond. No point. I agree. I I do. I am concerned that the DC universe is like not mature enough to handle Batman beyond right now because they're just, it's just much, they're just not as far into it as Marvel is. Marvel started introducing fringe characters like later down the line, Mm -hmm. you know, and that worked out well for them because they had already established themselves and they could kind of like, you don't have to be a main character. You can be like a tier two. You know what I mean? Like they, they were able to kind of work it like that. So, I don't know. We'll see. It, it's 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 got me interested though. I will say that. I will say the that. other the other thing that's going to be terrible since it's set in the future is we all know that DC loves their CGI. Can you imagine how much oh, CGI boy. will be in Batman Beyond? Oh boy, I don't know, man. Oh. I don't know. I, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to think about that. That's a dark place. <laughs> okay. Um, next one. This, this I thought was interesting. You know, we were just talking about the streaming wars, but what's really funny is that, like, in the midst of all of that, Netflix is still king. Netflix is still king of this world, and it's not even really close. Like, Disney Plus has had ridiculous success. You know, 87, something like 86, 87 million subscribers in one year is an outrageous achievement and one that they should be very proud of. But it's still, like, less than half of what Netflix has amassed. And Netflix continues to churn out content that hits crazy amounts of households. So um, that new period piece, Bridgerton, which is, like, based on some books, I believe, um, I have not checked it out yet, but 63 million households have already watched that. It's been out for, like, two weeks. Whoa. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And then... Um, Robert Rodriguez's uh, We Can Be Heroes, 44 million houses for that movie. And that's like, it's like in the Spy Kids slash Shark Boy and Lava Girl universe. I don't even know. Like, And they're already like doing a sequel of that. So Netflix, I mean, we've talked about it before. Like The quality of their content isn't always there, but they're just owning the space. They're just marketing geniuses more than they are content kings. They uh, are, yeah, yeah. And it, sure. I guess that goes hand in hand because content is their product, so they they're they're capitalizing it on hard. I mean, you mentioned this movie. Was it We Can Be Heroes? Is that right? We Can Be Heroes. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Spy Kids is of our generation. Saw that thing. Saw the OG yep. in the theater. Loved it. Loved it so much. But I couldn't. I can't bring myself to watch this. It's like the. <laughs> it's basically Spy Kids Seven. You know, at this point. So. Yeah, I know. And they, they were like, but, the big news story around it was like Shark Boy and Lava Girl will return for We Can Be Heroes. I'm like, who is asking for this? <laughs> <laughs> like, 
like, hold on, hold on. Are there people asking for this? Because I need to meet these people. Yeah, they're like 10 years younger than us. They're like, they're coming in the sequel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> hey, whatever whatever works. I mean, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, I saw that movie. It was horrifically bad. Um, and I was like, I was slightly too old for it when it came out for sure. But even still, it was just abysmal. So I'm just, that's why I'm like, what are, what is happening? You know, who are these 44 million people? Um, but I'll be added to that count. Cause now I'm just curious. I'll, I'm just, my, my curiosity is going to get the better of me and I'll be probably turning that on later tonight, honestly. Tonight. Oh, my I know. Man. I mean, that's, that's a dream. I will fall asleep, but uh, <laughs> soon, soon. Kirk. <laughs> During this um, podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually watching it right now. There's a TV on the other side of this. Yeah. Um, okay. Next story. Speaking of who asked for this, um, <laughs> Roku, you know, Roku has the Roku channel where they, it's, it's, you know, it's a streaming service of its own, right? It's like free content that you get whenever you have a Roku. Um, they are interested in buying the Quibi shows. Quibi's, <laughs> Quibi's long lost Island of Misfit 10 minute episode television shows is just floating out there waiting to be scooped up by somebody. And that somebody may be Roku. Your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> I know you're I mean, a big fan of the Quibi shows, Kirk, so don't hold back. <laughs> hey, dude, I did binge like four different Quibi shows when they came out. Uh, their business model failed from the start. 90-day free trial, 10-minute episodes. I mean, the only thing that Roku could do is, so they have the rights for these shows, is to piece them together so they're 30-minute episodes. I mean, what yeah, are they going to do? Or just like movies. <laughs> Yeah, just <laughs> they just put, like cleverly edit it together and then it's a movie they do they do reshoots uh, with the actors they look <laughs> they're already five years older yeah oh man i i mean here, here's the deal i know roku is a big deal uh i have a big a big issue with roku um and oh. maybe they've resolved it maybe i don't know roku does not have a remote for my convenience with a volume control what do you mean is there volume control on the Roku remote? Yeah. What? I mean, I have Roku TVs, so I okay. guess maybe that's okay. different. I think that must be different. I'm thinking like I want. I just want to get the Roku stick because I'm uh-huh. not ready to upgrade my television yet, and yeah. the Roku stick or whatever does not have a volume control, and that's why I can't switch to Roku. I know everyone loves their Roku, but I can't do it yet, Cam. I can't do it. Yeah. I I can understand that to to an extent. I mean, I'm not I can't relate very much because I have the Roku TV, so for me like that experience does not compute in my brain, but I can see why that would be an inconvenience. Yeah. Um I have a gripe with Roku right now, which is that the HBO Max app that took forever to get on Roku is like buggy as all get out. I you know, the big thing about Wonder Woman 1984 was like, it'll be the first HBO Max movie in Dolby Atmos. And so I was like, ooh, nice. Um, checked my internet speed beforehand. We we're, were pumping like 500, 600 megabits per second. I was like, we're ready to rock and roll. Um, we're going to be streaming high flying. And the app just could not hang. It was like glitching around. I had to switch to the PS4. I was like, this is outrageous. And it has issues with... Um, it has issues with, uh, whatchamacallit, it, like, continue watching. That's what it is. It'll, like, sometimes if you do continue watching on the Roku app, like, the screen goes bright green. 
I was like, hmm? Yeah, it's crazy. It's wild times. Um, also, while I'm griping about things, I'll just say this. HBO Max, as an app, doesn't have a screensaver. Like, Correct. if you let it sit, that, dude, that cannot happen. Like, that was burn into your television. That you of all on. of the user interface gaffes that we've seen, and Disney Plus owns many of them, we know that for sure. The no screensaver whenever you leave a program paused or something is unforgivable. Yes. Like, not to be dramatic, but that is like, that is so bad. <laughs> because, God forbid, I leave that thing on while I go make lunch and then, like, forget about it and get Wonder Woman 1984 burned into my television for the rest of my life. Like, I would be so mad. I would sue. It's true. It's true. Uh, fun, fun quick story. Uh, I actually have the television that was in your childhood home. It's uh, sitting down here in the basement with me. And Cam watched so much, so many sports. <laughs> Fell asleep to them, napped to them, just had the television on every waking moment and not is that the ESPN score uh, bar is is etched, burned into the it's television. It's the ticker. It's the, the ticker. ticker. Yeah. 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 Which is which is a flaw of ESPN as a network. At all times, no matter which, which program is on, there is a ticker at the bottom. If it goes to commercial, there's a ticker. If it goes to a, if there's a sport on ticker, if there's a show, like it does not matter. And so that little ESPN icon got burned into my parents' television, and they hated me for that in a major way. And I was like, "What am I supposed to? I, I don't I, like. I didn't leave it paused or anything. Like I was just watching television." Just always on. I will say that you can't really notice it unless it's like a snowstorm scene. If and it's then white. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. just there. You're watching Snowpiercer and you're like, dang it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. You're on Hoth <laughs> and all you see is the last ESPN. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. That haunts me to this day. But I, I, I go back to that's ESPN's fault. That is not my fault. Okay. Yes. That's, that's just the reality of it. Fix it, Disney. Fix it. You own them. Fix Let's it go. and fix it. Fix it, HBO Max. Before something tragic happens to my television, I'm I'm scared of that. Yes. Okay. Next up. Um, ne- speaking of Netflix, again, Netflix has a Matilda movie musical coming out, and we've got our first casting news, which is that Lashana Lynch has been casted in that movie musical. Kirk, your reaction to this as a huge Matilda fan? Oh, huge Matilda fan. I mean, I remember going to Blockbuster, Family Video, the grocery store, and renting Matilda every single weekend. Um, So, And then, what was it, 2012 or so, Matilda the Musical came out over in the UK. It spilled over into uh, the US. There's a Matilda musical movie coming. Yes. And... I can't. I can't con- contain my excitement. I just. I just love it so much. It's so much fun. I love it so much that I wanted to name our our first daughter, if we ever had one, Matilda. I lost that battle. And, yeah. And That's now, tough. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and then, but that Lashana, 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 Lashana Lynch. Yeah. Lashana Lynch is is going to be perfect. You know people ragged on captain marvel as a as a movie as a whole dude watch it back if you're a hater because that movie is solid and it is good it's a really good movie 
Yeah, and she is such a bright spot in that movie as well. She she has such a you know a limited role, I would say. Um, but man, there's a reason why she's popping up in some pretty big franchises besides yeah, that right now. And seeing her come into being in that role in Matilda is just going to be fire, and I can't wait. Yeah, she's on fuego right now, man. Like she was, she's Monica Rambo. Mm-hmm. She's in this new James Bond movie. Um, as a double O agent, which is awesome. And she's in the Matilda film. So she's, she's firing on all cylinders right now. It's going to be so good. So it's going to be great. Um, so last, last story is not really a story, but just kind of a heads up. This is our last episode before WandaVision premieres. Uh, we're really excited about that. Kirk and me have been talking about doing some little web minisodes after these new Marvel shows just to kind of give recaps and reactions. So we're really excited about that. Um, WandaVision star Elizabeth Olsen stopped by the Jimmy Kimmel live show um, and had a new clip with her of an episode that is themed in like a 1960s bewitched style. Um, And it's really slick. You can catch it on our Facebook page. If you haven't seen it yet, just scroll down a couple of posts and it's there. Kirk, are you excited for WandaVision, and how how excited are you compared to whenever it was first announced? Are you more excited or less? Definitely more. I thought originally that the name was terrible. I thought that they were some <laughs> of the that Vision is one of the weakest developed characters in the MCU. I was Agreed. Like, I was like, why? Why? What? What are we doing here? And from the first from the first glimpses of this show. Uh, to just the incredible marketing, I, I am so pumped. When you when I watched that clip, I thought like, okay, we've got I Love Lucy, we've got Bewitched, we've got Mary Tyler Moore, we've got Pleasantville, and yeah. we've got the MCU all wrapped into one series. My mind is is so overloaded with emotions. I, I'm just so intrigued. I, you know, talk about the spectrum too. Get rid of this. This is where Marvel is going to fail to. This is the next best thing they can do. Yeah, I think I'm I'm hyped. I'm like really fired up. Definitely more fired up than I was when it was first announced, though I was still excited about it then. Um, Vision is an awesome character and one, to your point, that just was not properly developed. And also Paul Bettany is awesome. Yes. Paul Bettany is so good. Um, you know, it was almost it was almost like kind of sad to see him cast as like this robotic, you know, stoic figure because he's got acting chops out the wazoo and him and Elizabeth Olsen are going to be great together. So I could not be more excited. I I can't wait to see where they go with it. I've been reading tons of Avengers and Scarlet Witch and Vision comics the last couple of weeks to get primed and ready to go for that. So um, if we do some of those little mini episodes, episode recaps and things like that, I think that'll be really fun to talk about. It's, I'm very excited. So that comes out, uh, for those of you who are interested, it's on Disney Plus. It's coming out next Friday, which is January 15th, so a week from today, the day that this episode drops. So get ready for WandaVision. All right. Shifting gears to our first movie review, which is going to be Wonder Woman 1984, which, as I said earlier, is streaming right now exclusively on HBO Max through January 24th. And that's an important note. This is not around forever. It will be gone on January 24th. And I assume it will come back at a later date, but for right now, it will be removed. So if you want to see this movie, you need to watch it now. Okay? Um, 
Yeah, so let's let's jump into synopsis. This is going to be me first, and then Kirk, I guess you will synopse Soul, if that's cool with you. Perfect. All right. So Wonder Woman 1984 takes place in 1984, which is, a, you know, like 20 or so years after the events, or maybe 30? Because the first one's... Is the first one World War One or World War Two? World War uh, one? one? Yeah, one. so it's it's even longer. It's like 50, 60 years after yes. the events of the first movie. Um, Wonder Woman, who is like an Amazon, doesn't age, so she looks exactly the same. And um, there is this stone of power that will grant you any wish that your heart desires, but you have to pay a cost. And so long story short, um, Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, who is a geologist comes across this stone. Her and her colleagues are working with it. People start getting their wishes granted. Things go crazy. And we get introduced to a couple of new villains, including Kristen Wiig's Cheetah and Pedro Pascal's, uh, Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord, who are the two uh, primary villains in this movie. Anything I missed Kirk. Is that about it? Nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. And I think we are going to go spoiler full on these yeah. on these uh, reviews. So just keep an eye out for that. We're going spoiler full. So if you haven't seen these movies yet and you want to, you might want to go watch them first and then come back and tune in because since these are available streaming and you don't really have to like pay money to see them if you subscribe to these services, we're going to go, we're going to let the spoilers fly a little bit. That's right. And, and talk about everything that's going on in these movies so that we can give a full breakdown. Okay, let's jump into it. Um, let's go with... The Oscar goes to, and I will get us kicked off. My Oscar is going to the Mandalorian, Pedro Pascal, who played Maxwell. Lord, I am a huge Pedro Pascal fan, have been for a long time, have been really since uh, probably Sicario is where I was introduced to him, and he's absolutely fantastic. Um, Obviously incredible in The Mandalorian. I think... What's interesting, Pedro Pascal ended up pretty much owning a large portion of the emotion and dynamic contrast in this movie. Like, the plot line, so he becomes the stone. He, Whenever he gets his chance to wish, because he knows what's going on with this whole thing, he wishes to become the stone. And so he like becomes this all powerful being and he goes through this crazy series of emotions. There's like this relationship with him and his son, Alistair that he's trying to keep intact while also trying to be like the most successful oil tycoon, like king of the world type character ever. Um, And so he ends up shouldering a pretty huge burden in terms of driving forward the plot, driving forward the stakes, you know, making sure the stakes are adequate in the movie. And I think um, overall he he persists through some not-so-great writing and some, you know, a, a little bit of a weak plot and really kind of leaves his mark on this movie. So I think at times he's even fighting through, like, okay, the writing's not really there. <laughs> you know, I need to, like beef it up a little bit and and give more emotion to compensate for that. So he's he's juggling so many different things and so that's the reason that he is uh high on my list for and 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 the best actor in this movie as far as I'm concerned. Pedro Pascal. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Pedro Pascal is a shape man because he does such good character work that he basically always looks the same minus hair and makeup uh, and costume, but really like the movements that he does with his characters are so specific. And it's not like he does like these outlandish, you know, you know, Camino del Arte characters. He's just doing people. Uh, so I, I fully, I fully agree. That's a great, that's a great choice. Uh, and sorry, I it was Narcos, Narcos for Pedro Pascal, not Sicario. I said Sicario, I meant Narcos. But anyway, that's okay. Ahead. That's okay. The, the internet will ridicule you. Um, <laughs> I want 30... to catch it before I catch it tomorrow. Listening back to the episode, and I'm like, no. <laughs> just dub yourself later, saying. <laughs> and when I saw him in Narcos, Narcos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Or have someone else say it, like have yeah. Jackie come and say, Narcos. <laughs> Narcos. <laughs> oh, be so Perfect. Um, and the Oscar goes to the best Chris. Chris Pine. Oh, here it goes. I knew this was coming. <laughs> I knew this was coming. For a couple of reasons, okay? Okay. This movie did not do what the first movie did. It it was very gimmicky, uh, Wonder Woman 84, WW84, very gimmicky. And yeah. probably the biggest gimmick and uh, just just um, total wreck to why the first movie was so good is is to what they do to Chris Pine's character, Steve Trevor. Um, he he comes into the this, this film uh, from A Wish from Gal Gadot, from Diana Prince, and he is himself but he has taken over someone else's body which makes no sense if she wished him back to life right yeah why can't he just have his own body like what uh so we get this glimpse of this guy who maybe chris pine stunt double in real life i don't know and he and they do this this camera spin trip and we see chris pine i'm like okay but who's the other guy was it like just a confusion but then we see this other this other actor as the face uh, of of him the the rest of the time, and so Chris Pine, his role was diminished to a gimmick through the entire film. Thankfully, yeah. and we get to see Chris Pine the whole time, and through it all, through the garbage writing that they put Chris Pine through, I was glued to him every time. He's just that good. He's got such a radiant voice and and just a radiant personality where he cannot fail. He refuses to fail. And watching him uh, not even fight through it, he just, I don't know if he rewrote some of it himself because despite all that, man, I was just so happy to see him. Chris Pine. Yeah, I I think it's a good point. First of all, that, like, Plotline is bizarro world, like so strange, like like okay. So Diana Prince is sleeping with this dude who's like, who's all the while like unaware of this whole thing because she <laughs> knows that he is Steve Trevor. It is, dude. That is just the tip of the iceberg on how weird that whole thing is. But that was right. my first thought. I was like, this is this is troublesome this is troublesome for a lot of reasons your boy steve trevor also spends a couple of days in this guy's body before he like ventures into the world too (laughs) (laughs) correct yeah correct he's like i know dude he wakes up in this guy's apartment in this loft and he he's just like going and trying to live life i mean certainly he understands that money will run out soon so that's why why he 
he's like, I got to find Diana. I know she's probably loaded if she's still alive. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is bizarre. And I think the other thing, <clears throat> just on Chris Pine, Chris Pine's performance, because he was up there for me too, um, he, of course, has the ability to carry a film by himself. He is you know, a gifted enough actor to be the lead role. But I think he was desperately needed in a support role to this film to give it some life and and he did so so that's uh, i was thankful that an actor of his caliber was around to do that i'm ready for him to be cast as a main superhero any either side but it's shocking that it hasn't happened i mean i think the captain kirk thing kept him uh busy for a while um which sadly that's all come to an end which sucks but yes um he was kind of like busy right during the time where all that stuff was heating up. Um, he's a little old for human torch, but that would have been a good role for him in the past. I think there, there, there are still fits. He could even be a super villain as far as he, I'm concerned. Dude, I was just thinking the same thing. He'd actually be a really killer villain because he really hasn't played a villain. Um, I really can't think of anything. He's played a, a full blown villain. in, so that'd be really neat. Yeah, it would be. Um, okay, moving on to scene stealer. Mine is really simple. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say this. My scene stealer is um, Linda Carter. Sorry, her name flew out of my brain for a second. Ah, there. yes, Linda Carter, who appears in a post credits cameo, and um, that was a high point for me. <laughs> I was just like. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Linda Carter, everyone. She looked great. She looked like Wonder Woman. She like appeared as Wonder Woman's mom, which I guess is a tease for the next movie, maybe? I don't really know. Um, but I got to the end of the movie, which was, is extraordinarily long, this movie. felt like felt like days I was watching this movie. But I think it was like at least two and a half hours. Correct. And then you get a post credit scene, and there's Linda Carter, like Wonder Woman in it up. And I was like, yes. Scene stolen. Good job. <laughs> so that's mine. That is short and simple. Uh, yeah, it's funny that she's your scene stealer because she literally has like 12 seconds of screen time. I know, so. man, but it's electric. It's absolutely electric. It is. When you have pros come onto the, the, the screen, it's like, oh, I'm interested now. Even if you don't know who she is or, or you never knew that she was the OG Wonder Woman uh, in the TV series, like yeah. you're going to be excited. Um, my scene stealer, Mr. Pedro Pascal. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Pedro. I, I was equally as mad about his role. The role of Maxwell Lord mm-hmm. is really neat. You know, he's, he's basically the, you know, the Iron Man, uh, uh, you, you could argue Batman is the Iron Man of DC, but, but there's this other element to Maxwell Lord. Who's kind of like this, not, I mean, he's evil in this, but he's got this good heart. He, he always means to do well, but he's greedy. That's his character foil. And I don't know, it, it, it's such a... This character is really cool, and he's got a cool name. Uh, but it was really... You know, you talked about his son, the storyline with the son, which made absolutely no sense. Um, yeah, it was first, tough. The first hour, he's, like, ticked that his son is, is near him. He's like, get out of here. And... Oh, why doesn't your mother have you this weekend? And and then out of nowhere, for no reason at all, he's suddenly like, oh my gosh, my son is the world to me. With uh-huh. 
no other strings attached. So again, bravo for Pedro Pascal to fight through that, fight through the terrible writing, and just overall be a baller. We saw him just kind of like Victor Von Doom style from the OG Fantastic Four. His he just starts to like his face literally starts to like crumble from the surge of power that he's collecting from becoming the Wishing Stone, and he's just so good. I, I just love him, even in his the most climactic part of the movie. I was like, man, this would have been good if it was written better. So <laughs> shout out to Pedro. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's a good call. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll get into in director shoes. And if we don't, I'll, I'll cover it later. Okay. So we'll, good. we'll just leave, we'll leave it right now. And we'll just keep going. Um, let's go into showstopper. My showstopper for this film is the music. <laughs> it's the music. Um, I, I just, Hans Zimmer is the guy. And, and and here's what I will say, and this is short and simple too. Hans, there are tons of great composers out there right now. Just tons. It's a really good time. You know, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are scooping up jobs like crazy. They're doing incredible stuff. But when it comes to iconic themes, there is no one who can match Hans Zimmer. He is... He is the new John Williams, basically. Like he, that Superman mm-hmm. theme that he did in Man of Steel, incredible. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, incredible. Like the Dark Knight did some incredible things there, but this, um, uh, the Wonder Woman theme that he has for her, that it's like. It's just epic, and it's the coolest thing. My only thing was, like, use it more in this movie because in the first movie they used it, like, perfectly, right like right when she was about to go beast mode. In this movie they didn't use it as much. So, um, But just throughout I was like, man, the music is – he's just killing it right now. He's just absolutely killing it. So, um, yeah, that, that, that for me was what stole the show. Mm-hmm. What Excellent. about you? Um, there was a moment – in the film where they explain um, or try to give give the invisible plane a rebirth so yeah. in the in the comics they uh, wonder woman has an invisible plane that's like her vehicle right mm-hmm. and so trying to put that into a uh, uh, you know somewhat this hyper realistic world we live in and trying to make the the superheroes seem like as real as possible it's like really an invisible plane we've seen a lot of a lot of more cooler <laughs> vehicles going on here so what they do you know she kind of makes it seem like oh i did it i did this thing with my powers one other time she's flying with steve trevor and because because i'm sorry but because chris pine is such a good actor he made that scene work because gal gadot pretty stoic throughout this whole film but his energy uh, on how he was like just like looking at her and you know f- you know falling in love with her again while they're up in the stars and flying a plane and she makes the plane invisible i thought that was such a cool um reference and update to the invisible plane i thought it was really well done yeah i mean that had to be the storyboard that they brought into the pitch meeting right like yeah. like that scene like I know for sequels, you don't have to pitch as hard, especially when they're as successful as the first Wonder Woman was and made as much money as it did. But, like, that had to be what they brought with them. Like, check it out. Invisible plane, fireworks exploding overhead, Steve Trevor's back, and 
the Warner board was like, yes, a thousand <laughs> times yes, go do the thing. I think for sure that's what happened. So, yeah, that scene was great. It really was. Okay, let's flip the, flip the script and go to the other side, which is director shoes and what notes that we have. Um, I have lots of notes for this movie, but I think I can summarize it in just like in, in this. I don't think this movie had enough energy or enough heart. It was just completely blah. I thought that like it didn't get too high. It didn't get too low. I never really felt emotionally connected to the film. Um, the whole like theme of the movie is about, you know, like loving things, but also being willing to like let things go. Um, you know, and, and what's weird is that like Diana already lost Steve Trevor. So when she lost Steve Trevor again, and like that was one of the climax points of the movie, I was like, well, that doesn't hit hard because I had already come to terms with him being gone. You know, as a fan, I have already, I have already suffered that loss and I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. And you kind of know based on the whole circumstances of the whole thing that that's how that's going to go down. And then the other emotional touch point that they try to give you is the, uh, the Maxwell Lord with his son Alistair, which as you alluded to earlier, Kirk, is just poorly developed and poorly written. Um, and so at the end, when they have what should be a really touching moment and Pedro Pascal is giving it all, giving it his all to try to deliver, it's just not there. And I think they reduced Diana Prince into a pretty uninteresting person in general in this movie, which I thought was an odd choice because she is really cool and really interesting. And, you know, one of my complaints about superhero is that he's like, or Superman is that he's like Mr. Perfect, prim and proper, like never makes a mistake and that makes him boring. That's kind of what they did to Diana Prince in this movie. Like they made her this like flawless, incredible person who just like doesn't waver and is like totally level the whole time. And that totally took a lot of the energy out of the movie and a lot of the heart, which I just thought was a really odd choice coming off of that first movie that probably the biggest strength of that first movie was how much heart it had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that, that, that's kind of like where it begins and ends for me. And there's a lot that goes into that. Like Kristen Wiig's character, just rough writing there. She was poorly developed, was super gimmicky that her final like, form as cheetah was cgi central and looked horrible it looked like the cats movie like yes that whole that whole character was just a failure and i don't i don't blame Kristen wig for that it just it just was bad start to finish so like this movie had an uphill battle in terms of trying to create some energy and some interest and i don't think it ever really got there for me yeah excellent i'm just going to read some of my notes that i took before i couldn't take any more notes because i was my, my my hands my hands started to fall fall off and I got arthritis from it. So um, my first notes out the gate: Amazon, Amazon women uh, Quidditch. It looked just like a Quidditch match as they joined the <laughs> film in this weird Olympian uh, decathlon uh, CGI overload. 80s genre, spot on. Um, evil villain yelling in the mall: "I'm not going back." Oh, the Awful. mall scene, dude! The mall scene was cringe cringe bad they picked like eight dudes for for whatever heist was happening and they were all just 
awful. Just straight oh, awful. It was so brutal, man. Um, pretty terrible, long, drawn-out plot lines with predictable strings, except Maxwell Lord. Probs because Pedro Pascal is magnetic, is what I wrote. And then I wrote, wait, what just happened? Why the different actor for Steve Trevor upon his introduction? And no explanation. <laughs> Stop. Wait, is he actually in somebody else's body? <laughs> Where is Chris Pine? Who is this man? Is this a, an episode of Body Snatching? Which, that doesn't make sense, but it was my thought. Um Let's... I love that this is like stream of consciousness. This is really <laughs> this is really an interesting look into the inner workings of your mind. Yes, I write them as fast as I can so I can keep watching. <laughs> uh, why are these segments so long? Uh, best creative idea: the invisible jet for Wonder Woman. Bravo! Good take on Kristen Wiig getting revenge on her attacker because she gets attacked and she later like eats him or kills him, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, and this is the last note I took. Uh, she literally caught a bullet with her lasso. Nope. Because that's, yeah. that whole fight sequence was just abysmal, abysmal. Yeah, is that the White House one? You know, is it that or is it the tank fight like out? It's in the, the yeah, it's that, it's that, it's yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my, that's, those are my notes to the director. I hope that Patty Jenkins uh, finds them and listens to them. Well, and I think I don't know, man. It's like. I don't understand how we we come from Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman movie where Patty Jenkins just seemed to be totally in control in her element to this movie where it just kind of felt like Patty Jenkins was like palling around with her friends and like, hey, let's make a quick $300 million movie. <laughs> you know, it just like, it, I, I don't know if she had total creative freedom or no creative freedom and what was the problem there. But they're apparently like fast tracking a sequel to this movie, and I'm like, fast track? That might be a questionable choice. Um, it's just odd. And Patty Jenkins is a great director, so I, again, I don't really know what's going on here. I pin most of it on the screenplay, which I thought was rough, rough, rough. Um, so yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. So I guess I'm already kind of starting on my overall thoughts. So I'll just go there. I mean, one thing I hate in a series of movies, especially superhero movies, um, and actually Star Trek, we, we were just talking about Star Trek, they had one of these too, is yep. when the movie begins and ends in the exact same place. Basically, movie starts, here's the lay of the land, bunch of things happen, things are back to the way that they started. You know what I mean? Like there's There's no real shift or change or any consequences or anything that's really happened. It's just like... All that stuff, it, it's, it just feels like a complete waste of time, and that is exactly what this movie was. Yes. Um, I think this movie had good bits. I think that it looked good in a lot of ways. I think that there was like good set design and good costumes and things like that, but it fell into the same pitfalls that we see DC films fall into all the time, which was overdoing it on the special effects and CGI, which, again, were outrageous, underdeveloping characters and making it blah, and just settling for mediocre and I think that's that for me is like what's really hard for me is not to tank this movie because for me I, I find myself in this place where I'm like well if it's not good it's bad and, and the reality is that like this movie isn't awful it's not super hard to watch for me but it's not good and so I don't feel like I can tank it but I do want to because I'm like like, why did we make this movie and why was it inconsequential to the entire universe that was created in the first movie? Um, so, 
reluctantly, I'm giving this movie a 4.6 out of 10 kernels. I think it could have been much better. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that there is a possibility that you will enjoy this movie if you're a huge Wonder Woman fan or... I don't know. I think there is a possibility you will enjoy this movie. I don't know what the circumstances would be, but I don't think that this movie is like totally a waste, but I am frustrated with this outcome after a pretty solid start in the first Wonder Woman film. Yeah. Um, they kind of just did some wild things. You know, when when a character is alive for so long in the comic book world, they have to give it new life with different storylines and which is good because then we get some really cool stuff, cool new powers or mm-hmm. just really, really interesting things from different takes. But they randomly put in new powers for Wonder Woman. She basically could fly uh, with no explanation. We kind of like saw her discover. No, she was like lassoing clouds <laughs> and lightning bolts. But, like, were, <laughs> but... <laughs> what more explanation do you need? But like, <laughs> There were parts where she was just legit flying. Like she was, no, she was. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like it's crazy. I just like with no explanation. Like Wonder Woman's not supposed to fly. Like no, not especially not the film version. Like do what you want. That can be a side a side thing. A what if in the DC comic books, but I, well, she does it in like the in the like the more modern Wonder Woman does it. But for them to start off with her not doing it, and then all of a sudden she can do it, and there's no explanation. Like that is really weird. No explanation. No explanation whatsoever. It's not like she leveled up. It's just that she fell out of a plane and she, or I don't even know how she got into the sky. I can't remember. No, she just like ran away. I think she was just like running away because Steve Trevor was gone. So she was just like, I'm out of here. And then did she just start to fly? Is that how that happened? Yeah. She like lassoes herself. She lassoes herself like into the air. Yeah. And does that for a little bit. And then all of a sudden she's just flying and you're like, Oh, okay. Okay. She's gonna kill herself. Okay, uh, cool. Diana. Yeah. Uh, this it it just it, there's so many things. Uh, I wish I had taken more notes because they'd probably be really fun uh, to help me a rem- remember this movie and b to to criticize it more. I, I just I expected more uh, because the first one was decent. So I yeah. will not be as nice. I will not. I refuse to be. And it gets a <laughs> <laughs> it gets a three point zero kernels out of ten. Ah, uh, you could have been worse. You could have been meaner, but that's that is pretty mean. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I I also think it's fair because I was I was close to getting to that level as well. Um, so yeah, I mean I think you know first of all we always encourage you guys to watch the movies and form an opinion of your own. That's that's our thing. Um, it's an important part of this process to sort of figure out what your taste in movies is. But I do want to talk about like we've got this thing that becomes a more and more abstract concept with each movie that gets entered into it. And that is the DC extended universe. And, uh, you know, wonder woman was kind of like the one thing that was holding that together. And after this movie, which I feel like really missed the mark, frankly, where does the DC EU go from here? So like, if you look at it, just here's my opinion. You've got Suicide Squad, awful. Batman versus Superman, awful. Justice League, abysmal. <laughs> You've got Wonder Woman 1, good. Aquaman, not great. 
<laughs> no, um, terrible. Shazam, good, but could have been better, I think, for sure. Shazam's like really good for DC, but like wouldn't be a great Marvel film, if we're right. being honest. Right. Um, what am I missing? Am I missing anything? Oh, Man of Steel, which um, you know is one of the, one of the better uh, DCEU films at this point. So, like that's what we're working with at this point, and we've got you know the the Snyder cut coming out of Justice League, and we've got all these other movies that are supposed to be coming out, like The Flash and Black Adam and all this stuff. Like, what it what what do we make of the DCEU at this point? Is it salvageable? Is it actually salvageable? Because we've, like we talked about earlier, we've got James Gunn's The Suicide Squad coming out. We've got The Flash, which has some potential um, with the whole Michael Keaton thing and then like really turning this into something. But like, does this extended universe have anything left to offer? No. <laughs> yeah. Not until Michael Keaton comes back. And. <clears throat> I would but say, don't you think they need to hit like the reset button before they do that? I think Michael is the reset button. I think he is. I know, but Ezra Miller is still the Flash, so there's still remnants of that universe, and Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman for the foreseeable future. Like, mm, how do they what fix if, that? What if they both um, give the Flash his own origin film and kill him in it, and that's the end? <laughs> that could work. Maybe they just um, okay. Because here's here's the other thing that that the plot thickens. So let's say you're one of these people, the uh, restore the Snyderverse people, <laughs> you know, which you know that's fair to each their own. Like if that's if that's your cup of tea, so be it. Well, Zack Snyder says he's out. Like he has no plans to do any more DC films. Um, so like what you know? At what point do we just scrap everything that's happened and? say, okay, The Flash is the official start of the DCEU, or, or The Suicide Squad is the official start of the DCEU, and we'll pull it, we'll bring, we'll, we'll keep Gal Gadot around, and we'll keep uh, Jason Momoa around, and we'll keep Ezra Miller around, but everything else, like, leveled. Like, I almost feel like that's what they would have to do at this point. Oh, like to disavow the old films. I kind of think they need to disconnect a little yeah. bit. Or say, like, just, just draw a hard line and be like, ah, eh, those movies aren't really connected. Like they're kind of connected, but it's, you know, they're just one-offs. And then now this is the DC. Like, I think they almost need to do something like that. This is the story we want to tell. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fine. As long as the first one is even better than their, their so-called strongest one, which I feel that man of steel is their strongest one. Still wonder woman would come in second. It's a, it's I feel a like Shazam distance. and then weirdly, Shaz- Weirdly, I feel like Shazam is, like, their strongest one. I don't know. I mean, I love Zachary Levi. And that movie is not perfect by any means. You no, know, it's just, no, no, no. yeah, it's got issues. There's a whole section in the boardroom where it's just awful. Oh, man, yes. The villain, the villains in that movie are just bad in general. The yep. Seven Deadly Sins, I'm like, it's bad. It's bad. And CGI, terrible CGI central, as per usual. That's sort of, like... That's sort of their trademark, like the wet bandits. They, they, they're they like, how do you know this is a DC film? Because it's just riddled with awful computer generation. So Indeed. Um, well, it'll be interesting to see. I just kind of wanted to gut check that because I, I felt like, okay, we're starting to get some wheels moving here, okay? Like, 
if Wonder Woman 1984 is good, which I thought was like a slam dunk. I was like, this is going to be great. And then it just wasn't. And then you've got the Suicide Squad, which I expect to be good. Then maybe there's some momentum. Maybe there's something we could build here. But now I'm just like, man. Michael Keaton, come it's, for us. Dude, he's going to be walking into... It's like that gif of Donald Glover from... Um, is it community where sure. he like walks into the room with the pizza and he's like smiling and there's like fire <laughs> and like people <laughs> doing circus tricks and stuff like that. And his face is just like, like that's what Michael Keaton is walking into. Like that, oh, that is, he's walking into utter chaos. He really is. And man, will, will it be saved? And there will be a, a, a what do you call it? A seismic <laughs> shift when he walks onto the camera. Yeah. They really need a Kevin Feige. They really need someone to guide it. Christopher Nolan should have just done it, man. Christopher Nolan should have should yeah. have done it. You know, we're sitting over here, ready to go. They didn't ask us, but whatever. Oh, I've got I've got ten half baked DC film con- concepts just in the notes on my phone. You know, we could crank those out. I mean, you could incorporate the crisis papers into the DC, right? I can <laughs> guarantee you. Well, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to be mean, but. I think if you gave me a shot, I could maybe make a movie that's better than the theatrical release of Suicide Squad. I really sold. Do. I believe you. I believe. You. I, re- I and I have no experience, but I think that I could give it. If I had the resources, I think I could do it. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Not go for Funko because that's like a zero. Face. That movie's like a zero for me. It's it's really close to a zero. <laughs> it's it's well, quite bad. <laughs> Um, okay, let's move on from DCEU and let's move over to a film company that has no issues creating great content, who's been doing it for decades now, and that is Pixar, with Disney's help, who launched another film for their, uh, I think they have 24 of them now? Yeah, I think there's 24 Ooh. Pixar films. I need to update the bracket. I should update the Pixar bracket to include Soul. Um, but yeah, this is Soul, which... Uh, like I said earlier, released exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Kirk, do you want to synopse it for us? Oh, sure, sure. So we find this uh, this kind of, I, w- I don't want to say washed up musician. He's really just a, um, a working professional. The, he, this is a, a music teacher. He's kind of lost his passion a little bit. He's to encourage his students about uh, not only life, uh, but that uh, the other way around not only music but life uh so we meet joe at kind of his weakest moment where he's kind of fed up with what he's doing and he gets this incredible opportunity to finally let his life take off and i don't know if they say his age uh throughout this movie but but i would say that he's he's pushing 40 or he's already there but it doesn't matter his passion is still full-blown uh he, he wants to really he wants to live this dream whatever it takes and something happens. Yes. Joe falls down a manhole. And he does not land in sewage. He lands in another dimension. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is where we meet the rest of our film. Good. Good synopsis. Love it. Thank you. Um, you, were wait- you were waiting. You were waiting. And find out now. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was honestly <laughs> waiting to hear that. That's like my cue. <laughs> um but no, that was a good one. Uh, yeah, let's jump into this movie. This is an interesting one. Uh, let's start off with our Oscar. Who does your Oscar go to, Kirk? 
And the Oscar goes to the man, the myth, the legend, Academy Award winning Jamie Foxx, who already Jamie has Fox. Best Actor uh, trophy under his belt. It's in his notch. Dude, this is the year of Jamie Foxx. Uh, it is. He, it is. He, he's so funny because he, he has had such a, a, a riddling career. Um, you know, he's he was in TV shows. He was in... Uh, he had his own like album, uh, maybe two, uh, which were kind of embarrassing. He was like singing on a beach, like everyone <laughs> did in the late '80s, early '90s, uh, in just like the craziest kind of movies. And then he landed Ray. He was Ray Charles, blew it out of the water, won the Oscar, boom. And then yep. he was in movies like Stealth and Rio, <laughs> <laughs> Valentine's Day. Uh, even the soloist and Miami vice, like those movies just weren't good. They weren't good. Um, but now this is Jamie Foxx's year. He came out with just mercy at the beginning of 2020. Then of course he was in project power on Netflix. He came out in soul. He's going to be stinking Mike Tyson in a biopic. He's going to be a remake of the wild bunch. I just love him so much that now we're really seeing his his full potential. I don't know if he changed managers or what, but all of that said, Jamie Foxx is just doing a voice, and he is the king of mimics. So while you can tell if you're listening real close, that uh, you can tell if you're focused on it that it's Jamie Foxx. If you had no idea who, if you if you didn't know Jamie Foxx was attached to this project, and you start listening, you have no idea who this guy is. Uh, it, it, he's just does such an incredible job, such good work. Um, you really feel and get lost that that a person is speaking into that character. Sometimes that can happen. You can be like watching and you're like, oh, that's that's X, Y, Z actor there. And they're saying the lines, they're reading the lines, even if they're still doing a good job. No, Jamie Foxx, maybe from his work on Rio and Rio 2, infused himself <laughs> into this character. So he wins easy. Yeah, it's a good one, and and he's my Oscar as well. I think for me, just like this movie is pretty different from like a message and delivery standpoint. Like we'll get into that later just for, for Pixar. Like it's a little bit more abstract and a little bit more, um, I don't know, just it's, it's, it's more complicated. It's more complicated than I think they usually go for in Pixar films in terms of like the depth of emotion that they're reaching down and touching. And so his delivery and the intention behind what he's saying is really important because it can drive home the emotion of the film. And he just nailed it. I mean, at the end of the film, when they're really trying to like drive home those key themes and he has some big scenes, he's just owning it. And he had me crying. I mean, it's just, it was so great. I mean, I, I, I just was, you know, Jackie and I paused it a couple of times. And I'm like, man, he's, you know, this is great. He's doing a great job. I'm really, you know, I, I have been anticipating this movie for a long time, but I had no idea what to expect in terms of like where they were going to go with it. And I think Jamie Foxx was a driving force behind all of that. So it's definitely Jamie Foxx for me too. Excellent. All right. Excellent. Um, who's your scene stealer, Kirk? Dude. This one blew my mind because I had no idea that this actor was going to be in this movie. Mr. Graham Norton. Yeah. Uh, Graham over, Norton. In the, over in the UK, Graham Norton is a uh, phenomenal um, talk show host. He has been a talk show host. Uh, he, he's, he's their Johnny Carson, man. He's been there yeah. forever. You can see him grow up. All, all, all of his stuff is online. 
uh, I feel like he, all of the video clips that that I know from celebrities is more so that than any other talk show host because he just kills it. I, I just love him. He plays this character called uh, Moonwinder or Moonwinder or Moonwind, yeah, Moonwind, Moon yeah. And dude, he's he's this super hippie guy in the real world. He's a sign spinner. And he's just like a super philosophical soul in the soul world. So he kind of zones out and he can he can live between both worlds. He can kind of shift between them based on meditation and just a, a clear uh, kind of mindscaping, if you will. Uh, he, he killed me because he was one of the he had some of the funniest parts and he had some of the most um intricate and again philosophical lines uh, shout out to aubrey my wife she said the biggest part that captured her was one of his lines he says you know lost souls are not that different from those in the zone the zone is enjoyable but when that joy becomes an obsession one becomes disconnected from life and i missed it the first time like my me and my kids watched this like eight times over christmas break like back to back to back to back to back to back, to back. and so she said that after the first time we watched it and I listened to it again when it came up in the movie and I was like, dang, that's huge. That's cuts huge. Cuts deep. Cuts deep, right? And that's like, I stuff. still, I still don't even think I fully understand it. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like I almost understand it and then I like lose it and then I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. It's just so, it's so powerful and just, just that, 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 um, <clears throat> the, the dichotomy he plays of just super ridiculous to he's he's got some of the driving themes of this film i, I loved it so all the way Moonwind. yeah love it good good choice um yeah i mean i was close to picking tina fey who who plays 22 um and does a fantastic job i love tina fey i think she's great um and uh that character is sort of like you know, Pixar has their formula where they have these characters that are sort of like the comic relief and like sort of the takeaway character for the kids, you know, the character that they want the kids to latch onto and really like. And so 22 is that character. Um, but I'm actually going to go with uh, Angela Bassett, who is the queen. She's the best. And she's pl she plays Dorothea, who is this um, popular jazz uh, saxophonist who... Um, Joe, who is, that's Jamie Foxx's character, gets a chance to play in her band. Um, and it's sort of the same reason. She doesn't get much speaking time, but she gets some really important speaking time where it's like she's helping kind of decide like Joe's fate in this career field and she drops some truth bombs on him. And her delivery is just so great. Her voice is so rich. It's just... It's awesome, and and she did a great. You know, she she had small number of speaking lines, but didn't phone it in. Like she created a character, and that's just something I always respect with voice actors. Whenever, you know, especially Angela Bassett, she's got nothing to prove to anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's she's incredible and has done amazing things. And she comes in here, has like a few minutes of screen time, and is a voiceover character and just owns it and 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 helped make these themes really effective. Um, so yeah, I have to give it to her. I, I thought she was fantastic. So Angela Bassett as Dorothea. She really was. And one quick thing about her character specifically, the whole, you know, Pixar keep and, and Disney animation studios, they keep increasing the level and quality of their graphics 
Dude. Yes. They spent so much time on her that legitimately she looked like a real person in the movie. Uh, I was several times I was like, oh, wait, this is an animated film. Uh, and <laughs> it was every time that it was on her in the club with the lighting that they shot on her. Dude, it was it was super cool to see to see that. It, like it, it really tricked me, like, honestly. So Angela Bassett. Yeah. Good choice. Um, good, good call out there. Showstopper. Showstopper. What you got? I got the zone, man. Like zone. Yeah. How? I want to be in the room where it happens when they when they do this when they write <laughs> these these scripts, man. Because they pick like the most nuanced things that everyone knows and like never really talks about, like being in the zone. Like the idea of the zone is that you are so into what you're doing that nothing else matters. That you are in this pocket that cannot be broken. That you cannot. You cannot always get there. It just happens sometimes and you strive to get to it and you can practice enough to where it seems like you would be in the zone if you're a musician, if you're an athlete. But the idea of the zone is so cool and the way they visualized it blew my mind. And I felt, I was like, I feel like I'm in the zone right now because this <laughs> is so magically creative and uh, that that really blew me away. Yeah. It's that's that's a good call out. I think my mine is similar, which is um, their ability to to deliver abstract themes in ways that make sense, abstract concepts in ways that make sense. Think, you know, the zone is something you you know whenever somebody says they're in the zone exactly what that means, and we all have like a pretty similar understanding. But if you asked us all to draw it, we would come up with different things. And yet, in this movie. Pete Doctor and the creative team behind this movie came up with a perfect depiction of it and a perfect depiction of um, the great before, uh, which is like, you know, different from the great beyond. And even, even the great beyond, like being this big white light that people are walking on a staircase up towards, like the imagery is really effective for some concepts that are more abstract than really anything they've ever tackled. Even if you think about, um, Inside Out, which is another uh, Pixar film, another Pete Doctor film, where he handles some abstract concepts. Um, they're abstract, but they're things that are easy to sort of visualize in your head. And so Inside Out doesn't feel like quite as far of a leap to design as this movie did because they were tackling some really far out concepts. And, and they did a phenomenal job. And I think well, the other thing that surprised me on the subject of those themes and those abstract concepts is the message that they ultimately deliver at the end of this movie is totally different than I expected. Like, mm -hmm. it, it broke the mold in a way. Like, you know, you, you watch a Pixar movie, you tend to know what to expect and where you're going to end up. And I totally thought I knew where we were going to end up, which is like, uh, Joe, like, he was doing this other thing his whole life because he was listening to other people's opinions. He was doubting himself. He was, you know, not doing it right. He needs to give that up and follow his passions and live for his passions. But no, it was like, you don't have to have this like lofty goal or this passion to live. You like the little tiny moments that you experience every day and the little tiny impacts and connections that you have with people are what make life worth living and are what make your life important. And I was like, like, like <laughs> totally blown away. It was, I know it was insane. Oh. Um, 
And so I was just like, wow, like to create this abstract world that was just brilliantly designed and then to deliver that message that well and to like kind of cloak it until the end, just, just monumental. He is a a magician at cloaking, just like in Inside Out, right? When when you're just like, if only, if only they could get sadness, you know, to, or or (laughs) if only they can get joy. The whole goal is to get joy, get joy back to the console, get joy to take over the, and then they're like, wait a second. She's sad. Let her be sad. Let her work through the sad. It's just like the way that he that he just like maneuvers that right in front of our eyes. Oh, so good. Yeah, shout out to Pete Doctor, man. Can we talk about that? He's he's a writer on the Toy Story movies. He directed Monsters Inc. up inside out and this one. He wrote on Finding like insane what this guy is able to do you know I, yeah. like I, i'd be comfortable putting him at the helm of every pixar movie here on out because he's he just kills it yes all right let's move on to director shoes what notes do you have for this movie kirk really not much and again i saw this movie eight times back to back so i would have the notes because i've seen it so many yeah. times <laughs> um, <laughs> i would say you know this is kind of the controversial topic but um i kind of i kind of agree with them you know this is the one of the few animated films where we have a uh, a, the predominantly uh antagonist is a black character an african-american character and you know they kind of messed up with tiana she was a frog for basically the whole film um moana they kind of they made do on that but then they really they needed to give the black community someone who they could really have an entire film. And throughout the entire film, I really don't even know if there's many white characters. And that was also kind of awe-inspiring to see uh, throughout. It was like, wow, I've never seen an animated film of this yeah. magnitude with no white characters. Like, it was it was pretty cool. Um, what I would say is that they, they switched, obviously, um, they switched Tina Fey and Jamie Foxx's voices per their characters. So Jamie Foxx got swapped into the cat, and Tina Fey got swapped into Joe. I would say that while the while the storyline worked, could they have done it without that? You know, yeah. Um, maybe and maybe they were both stuck inside the cat. I don't know. Whatever it might have been, I I, th- I would say that maybe there was one other switch that they could have done to really make this the full home run that I think that that's been spoken in, in, into the, the black community that I've seen on online. Cause obviously I can't speak to it, but that that's what I would say. Um, but really other than, other than that, um, they did a good job at least, at least having uh, Joe Joe's character, at least under Tina Fey's voice, they had him still in the picture, which I didn't even think they were ever going to go back to it. I thought they were going to stay in blob form the whole yeah. time. So yeah. kudos to Pete doctor for doing that. Kudos to the creative team for putting that. I was just hoping for, a little bit more of the full uh, of the full character of the entire film. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I think for me um I think the one the only minor note that I have is just like does this movie have that like does it have that iconic moment? You know, mm-hmm. that that gives it the staying power you know, years from now when we remember back to it, does it have that like big moment, you know, like some of their other movies do. Like I think finding Nemo does. And I think that's the reason that it's like remembered for so long. I think monsters Inc does. Like, I think there are 
moments and connections that are so strong and so memorable that they stick around. Toy Story as well. Does this movie have that? And and I don't know. And that may be something that we don't know until later. You know, when yeah, I yeah. think back on these movies, you know, years from now, what is it that sticks out about the movie? But it's interesting. Like, there's not some like big flashy super cartoony character that is like remember like memorable. You know, like. 22 is the closest thing to that, but like Joe and 20 Joe and 22 when they're in soul form are like not super colorful or cartoony. Like they're, you know, they're kind of like just green, (laughs) like greenish blue. And like, that's really the end of it. So I just don't know, like, is, is there, is there something like that to really like set this movie apart? I think there are plenty of things that set this movie apart for different reasons, but I just wonder like, as we look back on the catalog of Pixar films, what is the what is the landmark that sort of triggers for people in this movie? I don't know what I don't know what that is, but I think that it's yeah. possible that it might be missing that. <clears throat> yeah, no, you're right. It's got it's visually stunning. Um, never seen they've they've never done something of this magnitude, and I would even say that my my almost seven year old and my three year old, five minutes in, I'm like. There's no way this is uh, like I was captivated. I'm like, there's no way that their age range is captivated. Right. And we watched it eight more times. Like they they loved it. So, but you're right. What is the staying power? Um, is it captivating because it's so different, or are they going to be like, um, you know, like this is is there a stampede moment like in The Lion King? Is there a uh, magic carpet ride like Aladdin? You know, yeah. what what is that moment? I that great great point. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think like. Going back to those movies that I mentioned, it's like Buzz and Woody flying over the moving van. You know, like yes. that's a huge that's a huge moment, and like um, Boo and Sully saying goodbye, like huge oh. iconic. You know what I mean? Like these big moments that happen in these movies. It's like where was that in this movie? Maybe it's the montage that he has like flash through his head when he finally like clicks it, but it's just not. It's it's not a traditional movie moment. I would say yeah. it, it's just it's a little bit more it's a little bit more abstract, a little more yes. complex than, than that. So, and, and that's fine. I, I mean, of its, of its own right, it's fine. But um, yeah, that's the one question I'm left with, but let's, let's jump into overall thoughts and then let's score soul. Easy. Um, I think I've put it all out there. This movie is incredible. It could have been done as a live action movie and knowing Disney yeah. in 25 years, they will make it a live action <laughs> movie. <laughs> So on our 6,000th episode, we will be reviewing <laughs> Soul Live Action. Uh, this this uh, movie gets an easy 9.0 from me. All right. Good score. Um, I'm going to go higher than that. And here's here's something that I will say and why why my score is as high as it is. Um, and I'm, I promise I'm not trying to get sappy or weird or dramatic. Like, dead serious – these movies, movies like Inside Out and movies like Soul are critically important to teaching kids valuable lessons. And the reason that they are important is because they are presented to children in a medium that forces them to let down their guard. It's something that they're like, it's time to watch a show. It's time to watch a movie. That's when they, you know, let down their guard and totally just open up to the program. And so using that time to deliver powerful, potentially life-changing lessons is so incredible. And this movie does a great job. And 
like I don't think it's crazy to think that this movie could have a lasting impact on many young children in their life. And and same with adults. I mean, that message we live in, especially in America, we live in a country and in a society that puts so much emphasis on individuality. You have to blaze your own path. You have to win. You have to be successful. And this movie's like, man, just enjoy it. Like you are worth it. And all the things that you do every day are worth it. If you like getting a coffee at the convenience store and seeing the people that you see there, like that is worth it. And I just think that, you know, even more so than Inside Out, which was super important in its own right, this movie and the message that it delivers is potentially more important and executed so well that I think um, it could have a real impact, which is awesome. And that's what film, when it's at its best, is doing exactly that. It's it's changing society. It's changing people's lives. So for that reason, I give Soul a 9.6 out of 10 kernels. And it's I'll be interested to do the Pixar bracket again because I want to see where this one falls. And I'll try not to be fall victim to the recency effect, which I often do but i really do think this movie is upper echelon pixar no doubt hold on hold on hold on that speech was so beautiful hold on <laughs> oh you're gonna golf clap you're gonna slow clap me thanks kirk <laughs> yeah! Yeah! thanks man so, i needed so that perfect. so perfect i needed I that um but yeah i'm just like I, I i'm excited like i think it's good that your kids have watched it multiple times um yeah they loved it, and I love. Another it. thing they touch on is like um, uh, everybody has a story about themselves in their head, and how people. Uh, I was talking to Aubrey about this actually, like how people can impact your internal story, and how yeah. much of a change that can make in your life. Like that's an important thing to le- learn at a young age. I wish I had learned that at a, at a young age, to be honest with you. Yeah. Oh, and then uh, I'm looking at the quotes from the movie because there's just so many good little tidbits of life. And Joe says to 22, he says, your spark isn't your purpose. Uh, Mm. That last box fills in when you're ready to come live. And the thing is, you're pretty great at jazzing. So it's like, yeah, are you looking for that thing, that one thing that really puts you in the zone? Maybe it hasn't happened yet. Well, don't get sad that it hasn't happened yet. Just continue, not even continue looking for it. Just continue living, you know? So it's just, whoo. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's, it's, it was, it was everything I expected and then much more, I would say for sure. Um, all right. So that is both of our movie reviews. That was a lot of content, but thank you guys for sticking around. Um, if you have seen wonder woman and soul and want to share your thoughts with us, know that you can reach out to us on social media. We love to talk about movies. Duh. That's what we do every two weeks on this show. And we would wait, love wait. to talk to you guys about th- these movies. What, what, if, <laughs> what if we marketed ourselves as a movie podcast, but then talked about something completely different. Yeah. Like, <laughs> talked about architecture. <laughs> yes. Like uh, St. Louis art was built in 1965. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It'd be so great. That would be good uh, for another time. <laughs> that's our next podcast. The next yeah, that's podcast our next we market. <laughs> We'll we're going to call it like the sports we're going to call like the sports podcast and then everybody who listens to it it's like actually about baking <laughs> yes that'd be great oh yes like please it. all right let's let's quickly jump into our schoolyard pick of 2021 films i so the last schoolyard pick we did was what was our last episode my rainy yes and we did Oh man, this is so bad. I'll pull it up. Hold on, just just <laughs> just vamp. 
Dude, why does my brain like it's like somebody hits me with that thing from from Batman Forever with the Riddler where it like suction cups onto your head and then sucks your thoughts out of your mind every yes. time after we record an episode. I'm like, how do I not remember what our schoolyard pick was last time? Christmas movies. Christmas movies, of course it was. Of course it was. Um and I think I think I went first. I'm almost positive I went first because I got It's a Wonderful Life, and I think you probably would have chosen that one early on. Easily. Anyway. Yeah. So you yeah. get to go first this time and pick the movie that you are most excited about for 2021. There are so, so many. many. <laughs> so many. Uh, I mean, I'm just looking at this list of 2,000 movies that are going to be released, <laughs> and I... You know what? I gotta go with. He saved 2020. Kind of. The middle of it, kind of a morale boost, and he can do it again. Ooh. Yeah. You dirty, dirty dog. Yeah, he's playing you, Snobby. Kirk, you're frozen for a bit, so I'm gonna I'm gonna fill in for you until you come back, which is hopefully soon. But yeah, Anthony Ramos as Usnavi. Um, the music in that movie, which is like all all Hispanic music, like all clave rhythms and just like super great music. It's like some of the best some of the best Latin music I've ever heard in my entire life is in the, the score of that show. Um, and Anthony Ramos is an up and coming star. So that's really good. Uh, I think it's, I think it's going to be incredible. And I think, you know, we didn't get like the Hamilton on screen experience that I thought we were going to get. And maybe we'll get that later. Um, we got like the stage show, but this will be like an actual motion picture version of a Lin-Manuel Miranda musical, which is going to be absolutely epic. And I cannot wait to see it. All right, Kirk is still frozen, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep rolling. Thank you for your first pick. My first pick is going to be ooh, this is tough. I have a good list. I haven't ranked them though because I don't know what you're gonna pick. Um, so I'm gonna go with Eternals. I'm going with Marvel's Eternals um, because I am just super intrigued by this cat. By this cast, I'm super intrigued by introducing some really different abstract um, characters, like different Marvel characters, other than that big name heavy hitters. I'm just extremely, extremely excited about it. It is one of four Marvel movies that we are now getting in 2021, which are um, Black Widow, Spider-Man 3, Eternals, and what's the other one? Why am I forgetting? Oh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So we're getting loads and loads and loads of Marvel content. It should be very, very interesting. Um, So Eternals is at the top of my list, though. All right. Kirk is literally Skyping me his his picks as, as I'm going here. This is quite insane. Kirk is frozen, but is still able to Skype chat me everything that he wants so his next pick which i thought was going to be his first pick is actually no time to die the james bond film 
Kirk is a Bondaholic. He's trying to watch all 25 Bond films right now, and he's been looking forward to this one for a long time. Kirk and I actually have a long-standing bet about this movie that's out there right now, um, where if I bet that James Bond, I bet that James Bond dies, and Kirk bets that he lives. And if James Bond dies, then Kirk has to eat like 20 snack packs or something like that um, in one sitting. And if James Bond dies, I have to eat three bags of Andy Cap's hot fries in a row with no drinks. So lots to go there. Kirk says he's still on the Roger Moore Bond films, and he assures us that James Bond will live in no time to die. So that's his second pick. All righty. My second pick, um, I got to go with Dune. I got to go with Dune. I, I mean, I like, I've started the book of Dune and I know that there's a whole series of books and I hope to be able to like get more and more into it. But I was particularly gutted by the fact that Dune did not get released this year and that I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters because I expect it to be totally epic. Denis Villeneuve, you know, Frank Herbert's massive world of Dune, which is widely regarded as one of the most well thought out sci-fi epics ever, you know, put those two together. And then this incredible cast that just has everything you could ever want, every person you could ever want in it. And that for me has totally has my interest peaked. Um, it's, it's gotta be Dune. So even though I'm not someone who's like diehard Dune, maybe I will be after I read some of the books, I'm definitely excited for this first movie and I'm super excited. Um, for Dune. Okay, Kirk just Skyped me his third pick, so I'll just keep rolling here. This is weird, but, you know, whatevs. Kirk's third pick is the the Elvis biopic that's coming out. Kind of an, this is an interesting pick. Um, directed by Boz Lerman, who, of course, directed the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Claire Danes, Romeo and Juliet. He directed The Great Gatsby. He directed Moulin Rouge. Um, he's kind of a, he's a different flavor of director. Some people like him. Some people don't. Um, but Kirk is really excited about this one. I know Kirk is excited about Austin Butler, who was chosen for the role of Elvis after a lengthy, lengthy casting process where they considered tons of big names, including Miles Teller, Harry Styles, um, many others that are escaping my mind right now. And also Tom Hanks is in this movie playing Elvis's manager, um, so it should be, it should be a very, very interesting film. I think that's a good pick for Kirk. All right. I'm going with my third pick. I think I'm going back to Marvel land and I'm going to choose this third Spider-Man movie. It has to be. I'm actually surprised that it's not, um, <laughs> Kirk just said that he wanted his fourth pick to be the third Spider-Man movie, but I stole it from him. So my third pick is, uh, the Spider-Man movie, Number three, which does not have a title yet, that's coming out in 2021. And we're getting some sort of Spider-Verse. That's been like all but set in stone. And I cannot wait to see what happens there. If we really get Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone and Kirsten Dunst, and you know we're getting Alfred Molina and Jamie Foxx, it's like sure to be an insanely massive film. And you know I would see it just a plain old... Tom Holland, Spider-Man with no none of those other guys. So um, this is going to be really, really, really interesting. All right. 
Kirk's fourth pick because he is somehow still frozen. I don't even know how that's possible. Um, he's going with Black Widow, which was supposed to come out in May of 2020 and is now coming out in May of 2021, um, which is nuts. Black Widow, it seems like we've been prepping for this movie forever. It has all kinds of interesting things going on because Black Widow, as you know, if you've seen Endgame, if you haven't seen Endgame, put on your earmuffs. Uh, Black Widow dies in Endgame, and so this is a prequel to that. We're getting new characters introduced. We're getting Florence Pugh. We're getting David Harbour. Um, really interesting cast and a really interesting looking movie. So Black Widow, great choice, Kirk. Was probably going to be my next choice if I'm being fully, fully honest. Okay, um, my fourth pick, I'm going a little bit off the beaten path. I'm going to choose Nomadland because that movie starring Francis McDormand is pretty clearly the Oscar Best Picture frontrunner right now. Um, and even though it hasn't been a particularly strong year for film, I still think that this is like, based on what I've seen other people talk about, I think this has potential to be really, really, really good. Um, so I'm very interested in it. And I love Frances McDormand. I just, I think the world of her as an actor and as an artist, I think she's going to do a stellar job. And so I can't wait to see what all the hype's about. And um, that one's actually coming out later this month, I believe. So that'll be coming up quick and I'll be able to get my opinion on that very, very soon. All right, let's see what Kirk's fifth and final pick is. Let's see. Hang with me for one second. All right, I can't see Kirk's notes anymore, so it's just going to be, it's just going to be, oh, Kirk's last movie he actually just sent it is Many Saints of Newark, which is a spinoff, I believe, of The Sopranos. Um, and it's going to be a film. So that should be really interesting. I think James Gandolfini, who has passed away, it's um, it's his son who is taking on that role. So um, that, or taking on uh, a role in that movie. So that should be a really interesting movie as well. Um I don't know much more about the Mini Saints of Newark, but I know that it's widely anticipated and uh, Kirk's very excited about it. And let me see. I've got my last pick. So I am going to go with James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. I think this movie, we were just talking about the DCEU earlier. I think it's really an interesting thing. Um, I think the fact that James Gunn jumped over to the DCEU side, you know, while all of this was going on with Marvel and there was controversy and all of that, um, I think it makes this movie even more intriguing because I think that DC had to give him, um, you know, lots of creative freedom. So th it should be an interesting thing there. Um, I think this movie, the first Suicide Squad movie by David Ayer, who David Ayer is actually a great filmmaker, um, but that Suicide Squad movie was horrible. The Jared Leto Joker was not my cup of tea. Like, all of it was rough. Um, so this movie is a good way to bounce back. James Gunn's got an awesome cast, including some people that he's close friends with, like Nathan Fillion and um, also his his uh, his brother, Sean Gunn. So it should be an interesting 
cast, and I think that it will be a, a really good movie. I'm, I'm really hoping for it to be, and I think it might be potentially the best DCEU movie that we have gotten so far. So that is our schoolyard pick of uh, 2021 films, which ended up being all me. <laughs> so hopefully that wasn't too terrible to listen to. Thank you guys for sticking around. Sorry for the technical difficulties. That is a wrap on our final episode, uh, or our first episode, sorry. our fir- I almost said our final episode of 2020, but our first episode of 2021. We've got a great year ahead for you guys. We're really excited about some of the things that we have in store. And we're really hoping, fingers crossed, that 2021 is a better year for film than 2020 was, which it doesn't have a very high bar to reach. Um, So with that, um, I will sign off and say a special thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Ryan Spriggs, and a special thanks to the group Rhetoric, who created our original theme music. You can catch those guys on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, wherever you get music. We will see you guys in two weeks. Talk to you then.